Hey guys, before we get started, just wanted to send a quick shout out to our new listeners coming to us from TigerNet. We're really excited about partnering up with TigerNet uh, coming off this football season. So stay tuned for more on that front. And for now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast. We are hours away from fall camp, T-minus 34 days of kickoff. Steve Spurrier has disassociated with South Carolina, and life is good. Uh, welcome back, guys. Whether it's been a while or this is your first time listening, we are happy you're with us. This podcast is three Clemson alumni talking about Clemson sports. I'm your host, Nick. I'm joined today by Cody and Ben. And um, if you like what you hear today, um, you can subscribe to us by visiting our page on SoundCloud. Uh, there's a a way to subscribe to us there so you don't miss a show um, or search for Clemson podcast on iTunes or in any um, podcasting app and you'll find us there and you can subscribe and that way you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. Um, so guys, why don't we get started? What's been on your mind lately? Well, first for me real quick, and if you didn't listen to the last episode, Cody had a really kind of good intro to that one talking about uh, the scandal and sexual assaults and stuff going on uh, with the Baylor football program. And I thought that was a, a very good and, and poignant kind of uh, discussion that you had and take that you had on that. Um, and it's kind of like with everything else in the media these days is we tend to only focus on the bad stuff. And rightfully so in those situations, like light needs to be shed and even more light needs to be shed on those things. Uh, but what often gets overlooked is, is some of the good stuff that, that, that happens out there. And what I'm talking about is uh, uh, Florida walk-on linebacker Christian Garcia helped stop a sexual assault behind a bar uh, um, a couple weeks ago, a week or so ago in uh, Gainesville, I believe. Um, so yeah, just you know, a shout out and props to him uh, college football is, you know, a bunch of young men that's supposed to be led by, by role models. And I don't think that always happens. So I think this walk on, like this player should serve as a role model for a lot of college football players to how you should treat other people and especially women. Um, and it's not just for college football players or college athletes. I think it's for all men really, because, um, I think it's an over you know, a larger issue in society that we're dealing with here. Um, but I just wanted to take a moment and just give him some praise for what he did because we don't see a lot of that. And Dabo said in the ACC Media Day, said, I think he's 99 or 90% of the time, it's players doing really good things with college football. It's a very small percent that is negative, but you unfortunately see that. And you're exactly right. It's just like the 24-7 news cycle. Uh, 24-hour news cycle. It's anyway. It, it's it's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of that, and it's good to hear something positive. Let me take it back to something negative. So I watched the national championship. Had a weekend to myself uh, just like a couple weekends ago, uh, where I'm like, heck, it's Friday night. I don't really feel like going out, so I cranked on the national championship game. I haven't watched it yet. It's it's. I still haven't. It's tough. It, it wasn't easy, but it was actually. It was funny. It was. It was. I guess it was interesting watching it a second time with the when the motions aren't tied to it, and and seeing the game through a different set of eyes. You know, having you know three or four months or however long it's been in the off season to really digest everything. And here are a few things that came out of it that I think are, I don't know. I guess interesting weren't didn't play out in this in the second game the way I thought it did in the first. Um, I thought the game was dead even through three quarters. We were winning twenty four to twenty one going into the fourth quarter, and I thought it was an evenly matched game. And so, of course, we know what happened in the fourth quarter. But before, but really, after watching the second time, I thought we outplayed Alabama. And I wouldn't say it was by a whole lot, but I thought we were a better team through three quarters. I think most people thought that. Yeah, and maybe maybe that was just me being like critical of the team, like we need to do better, but I think we certainly outplayed them. Uh, maybe a myth number two, Deshaun Watson was perfect. And I thought he was amazing in the game. And I think the margin of error against that Alabama defense was so small that he had to be really good, but he was not perfect. He missed uh, a few receivers. Um, maybe pick. he had that yeah huge interception, and I think a big part of that, he had a bunch of 5'10 receivers out there. He had Scott, uh, Ray Ray McLeod, and Hunter Renfro were his guys. Really, really missed Deion Kane and, De Mike, and Mike Williams, yeah, Mike of course. I uh, can't under, understate how important those guys are. And then a couple other parts, uh, not necessarily miss. Mac 
Mac Alexander was incredible up until the second halfway through the second quarter. Had he been in that game, there's no doubt in my mind, if he wouldn't have got, gone out, uh, not, had not went out injured with that hamstring, we would have won the game. And then the last part, no one's has not no no one has said this up at this point. Cordero Tankersley was unbelievable in that game. He played like a first round pick. I hope he brings that to the table this year. So you, you know, I think you know a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas uh, with some of the errors Deshaun Watson made, maybe and Tank going down with injury. But really, at the end of the day, and I agree with a lot of things you said, it is interesting to take a second look at it and separate yourself from the the emotional moment of actually watching the game. But at the end of the day, we're again special teams and distracted uh, DBs. I mean, that's how close we are uh, to winning a national championship. So even with the other errors and the um, you know, the deficit at wide receiver that we did have, like we were still in position to win that game. And it was, you know, a return uh, kickoff, uh, poor execution and coaching the, on. Uh, uh, let me, as crazy as that fourth kick. quarter seemed in reality, and you guys were there, it was just as crazy watching it a second time. I, it, nothing in the game up to that point would lead that fourth quarter to making any sense. I, I can't, I have no idea how that happened, how it spiraled. How every every ball bounced in Alabama's well, and that's favor. that's what happens when you're playing an elite team like Alabama. Like you, you do have to do most things perfectly, and that it, it was such a high caliber national championship game. Like, listen, Alabama and Clemson did the college football world a favor by by yeah. playing in that game because I think Dabo mentioned it, and uh, I believe it was on Mike and Mike or it was in one of his uh, recent media events, uh, either tied to ACC Media Day or whatnot. Um, leading up to the season here, but he mentioned it. That's the most competitive game that Alabama has had in a national championship game in a long time. Um, I've blocked out the LSU-Alabama. I don't even think I watched that game, their national title, the repeat or the rematch game in 2011. The Notre Dame game was a blowout for them. Um, And then, yeah, after that you had um, Oregon and Ohio State, basically an Ohio State blowout. Before, I'm sorry, before that was Auburn, Florida State. That was, that was a barn burner. That was a barn burner. It was a competitive game, but it was pretty ugly. I don't think either team would say they brought their best football. And I think Clemson, Alabama, was both, it was like a heavyweight fight. You know, you hear about Ali and Frazier back in the day. I, I felt like it was two teams digging deep with what they had um, and put really their whole teams on display. And Unfortunately, we had enough guys out or some inexperience. And, you know, a Nick Saban coached number one team by almost every other metric beat us right and i know we don't spend any more time talking about the championship game but there was a quote from i think it was bill Connolly, some national guy who said the nation learned more about clemson and their loss to alabama than they did in any other win before that so we finally got respect but it took us losing to alabama but like you said we proved that we were heavyweights and that's the bittersweet part of it you know you never like to say uh, uh you know, a moral loss or whatever, a good loss. Like you never like to accept that because a moral victory or whatever. Like, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it it was even like when I walked out of that stadium in Glendale, um, you still felt like we did well, like Clemson did everything they could. They represented the university well, like they showed that they could go toe to toe, stand toe to toe with a, with a heavyweight champion in Alabama, and that's exactly who they were. And we showed out, we played well, and I honestly, walking out of that stadium, I felt a lot less disappointment than I thought I would coming out of a loss there. And, you know, majority of this show will touch on kind of the state of Clemson's football program right now, and we'll bring this back up for sure. Um, Before we get there, I wanted to take us to the ACC Media Days, because there's a pretty big, obviously, announcement, everyone's aware. John Swafford inked a deal with ESPN, uh, effectively creating the ACC network, um, similar to what the SEC network is, uh, you know, kind of run and sponsored by ESPN. Uh, We'll get that starting in 2019, but there are actually very few business and financial details coming out about this deal so far in terms of, you know, what is the expected revenue look like for this, both as a league and then distributed to the schools. That'll be something we want to look at pretty closely as, as those details come out. Um, but what we do know is this is a 20-year rights agreement um, extending into, I guess, through 2036. Um, part of that will include a, an extension of the grant of rights, uh, I guess, agreement or stipulation where it becomes pretty much impossible for teams to recuperate any 
media dollars if they leave the ACC, um, those, those current members. And we also, there was a provision there where Notre Dame effectively joins the grant of rights, whereby they're not able to join any other conferences. They can stay independent as they are today. Um, in football. In football. They're effectively an ACC team in all other sports, right? Um, so otherwise, you know, I think that's kind of the, those are the high level bullet points from this deal. Guys, any any kind of thoughts here? Well, first thing that I want to say real quick, and I did not uh, actually realize this, and this is not much publicized, but while John Swafford's up there giving himself a pat on the back, you know, I, I think it was by this July or something, there was a certain deadline to where if ESPN didn't have a deal in place with the ACC, that they, owe, they were going to owe the ACC like something like $45 million. So that there's a lot of speculation out there that some that had something to play into this and how much that is, I don't know. But that was interesting to me to, to find out that, that there was something on the side that was going on that kind of led to this happening. Now, I, I'm not going to say I don't know if this is a good or a bad deal. You know, John Swafford might have done a great thing. I mean, I, I'm not going to deny the fact that he's a smart man and everybody at the ACC and at ESPN are very smart, successful business people and they don't know what they're in, that they know what they're doing. But, you know, there was something fishy about that when I read it. Yeah, I think the big thing, I, I score this as a home run. Uh, it's it's a parting gift from John Swafford. He's going out on a high note. It seems like he's made a lot of home run decisions that, in hindsight, we look back and have been bad. You look back at Miami and uh, Virginia Tech and Boston College, that the initial acquisition didn't didn't turn out so well. Can't say that's his fault, though. I, yeah, I'm just saying, but when you look back in hindsight, it was a home run at the time. And then in the 2010's ACC uh, ESPN deal, uh, media deal. It was huge number. Turned out a couple of years later, other other conferences got a lot more. So we got left behind, and that's where we've been playing from behind since then. It looks like, and like you said, totally, the number is estimated to put us in the range with the Big Ten and the SEC in terms of revenue. But they're they're not releasing numbers. I don't know. That's where it kind of seems fishy to me. I will say. It, it was a great move. It does put us in a good position. The ACC looks better than, now than it has in years. And and also, I, 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 you look at the Big 12, they're scrambling. They they are very close. They're, they're looking at expansion because they're very close to yeah. dissolving. <clears throat> and, and one sign you know this is good is Big 12 is all about, no, we're not expanding. You know, we're good. We're, we're happy with our 10 teams. Earlier this offseason, they, you know, found some loophole, got an agreement to get a championship game with only 10 teams in the conference. Then we sign this big media deal agreement. Lo and behold, the next day at their media days, they're talking expansion. They're talking about bringing Houston in, BYU, Cincinnati. I mean, I've heard like Memphis, Connecticut, like all kinds of schools are coming out of the woodwork. Are those, are any of those that I mentioned powerhouse, you know, well, they're likely to compete. They're for going after the, Houston. I don't think Houston this year. I think they're sure. going after markets. Right. They're not going after uh, yeah, programs and, and brand approach. names. You look at, like you said, Houston. Oh, well, that's not going to do much for you because you got the state of Texas covered in the Big Twelve. Right. So anyway. that's that's their goal. So though. if you want to, if you want to say maybe John Swafford's move forced the Big 12's hand, you know, to try to play catch up, maybe that's a good thing competitively. You know, you, you always want to be on the offensive there with those things. What's so, what's we'll the downside some... here? What there, I feel like there's a downside. What is it? Uh, I I just feel like to sign yourself up for a 20 year agreement in a climate of just media adoption and usage right now between sports fans is completely changing. Absolutely, shift to mobile, cord cutting. ESPN is losing so many subscribers a year or a month at this point. Um, well, the SEC is losing 3.5 million subscribers a year for, for their network. So, granted, I feel like over time, I mean, this is this is a tumultuous period, but this puts the ACC in partnership with probably the media company that's going to figure it out. They have the most incentive to do so. Um, right now, they're backing two, two of, like exclusively two of the biggest conferences nationwide, and then they've got all kinds of, and you see Ohio State-Michigan games all the time on ABC. So they have a lot of Big Ten and Big 12 games broadcast on ESPN and ABC. So, you know, Disney is going to figure this out long term. I just think maybe to, to put all our eggs in that basket for 20 years, that I, would be the downside I, of my eyes. I totally agree. And I think even the grant of rights it can be tied into that because that's a long time to be locked into something. And we know, we all know that the, the college football landscape is ever-changing like it's such a yeah. fluid situation from year to year i mean just think you know uh, 
how many ever three or four or five years ago where there was rumors of Clemson going to the Big 12, maybe FSU was going to go to the SEC, uh, and the ACC mm-hmm. was just going to lose everything, you know, and, and it would dissolve. And that led to the what the Big East essentially dissolving in football and reforming as some other... AAC. Yeah, AAC, and then the yeah. Big, a- uh, Big East is now something else in basketball. Uh, and then the ACC now all of a sudden is looking good. So, I mean, it's a fluid situation. Like, things are always going to be changing. So to lock yourself into that for 20 years not to mention that what is tv going to be like in three years when this when this network actually kicks off the, the, well, the counter, some question marks there the counter to that would be and i think it's a great uh objection or it's a great downside i, I totally agree with the change in you know changing nature of technology and everything else what i see is who who, who would have been the innovative solution was is that hulu is it netflix and I mean, they've never dabbled in sports before. And I've heard some, some kind of package like that where we would be linked in with a service like that. I just, I, I love it. I love like the innovative thinking and like trying to be, you know, very forward thinking. But at the same time, I don't think they were ready for the big time in terms of a major college uh, conference network. Fair enough. I don't have a counter proposal <laughs> there. And, you know, this could, could also be just, we're, be- we're playing from a behind position in terms of, Big Ten and SEC. So maybe this was like, let's get to parity. And they've got a digital network launching this year. Maybe that's going to be enough to, you know, play catch up quickly and well, and um, it's going to be the only innovate. It's going to be the only one of its kind. No other conference has a digital network like the ACC, ACC is going to have with ESPN. They're going to start uh, this fall with 600 live events uh, and eventually moving over to about 1,300 or so um, on the TV side. I mean, listen, no, we we needed a TV deal absolutely and. Yes, you can say it is great to be tied in with ESPN, the most powerful entity in broadcast uh, uh, sports. Um, and you see how it's affecting the Big 12 like we talked about. I mean, let's talk about the Big 12 once more. Nobody's focusing on this, but Texas has killed the Big 12 with the Longhorn Network, mm-hmm. um, driving teams out of the conference such as Colorado and Nebraska, and that kind of led to the dominoes starting to fall. Uh, Texas A&M left. Uh, Missouri left. They didn't try to stop that. No, and, and like Texas has a huge burden for that and i can't imagine that um other conference teams are very happy with them uh, right now with everything that's going on at 2024 prediction rabbit out the hat acc pulls texas in to the acc once the big 12 officially dissolves notre dame becomes a full member and bam we're right there with the sec i don't want texas but okay <laughs> anyhow i think it'd be awesome <laughs> yeah i just got back from austin today love to go to a game there that stretches the footprint of the conference halfway across the country. I don't you know if that's it. happening. It's like yeah. the Big 12's uh, kind of desperate move when they brought in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. We'll see how that works. Interesting prediction. I'm not saying it can't pan out, but... We'll, we'll say this, uh, maybe to, to close this out. It, it, the pecking order was Big 10, SEC, AB, 1A, 1B. The Pac-12, a, a, a notch down below that, and then the Big 12 and the ACC. Now the ACC, I think, has leapfrogged the Pac-12. We're not up there with the Big 10 and the SEC, but we have staying power. The conference has staying power and viability now. No, absolutely. I mean, the Pac-12 does have their own network, but it's owned and controlled by the conference itself. They have no affiliation. They're having struggles with uh, coming to agreements with DirecTV yeah. uh, versus uh, AT&T, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think this certainly pushes the ACC above that into the you know the third ranked conference behind the Big Ten uh, in the SEC so I, I'm interested to see how that translates uh, to kind of the power rankings of the conferences on the field do we see start to see the ACC make a move we started to see the Pac-12 tail off I mean the Big Ten okay Michigan State was uh, in the playoff they got annihilated you can talk to me all day about Michigan but you know Jim Harbour might have three or four good years but he has shown in multiple situations that he starts to wear a little thin on some people, um, and he may be driven off. Um, Ohio State's a staying power, absolutely. But you, you look at the rest of that conference, there is nothing there. Yeah, I was listening to the Athlon Sports Cover 2 podcast this weekend, and um, they did a great ACC kind of rundown and preview show. Definitely recommend that for everybody. And they talked about the middle class, and very focused on this season, um, and I think with this media stuff, we're talking a little longer term, but with these four new coaching hires in the ACC, which mostly happen on the coastal side of the map, um, really the middle class of the ACC should take a big leap forward, potentially even this year, uh, but definitely in the next two to three years. 
we hope that Florida State and Ohio State, I'm sorry, Florida State and Clemson aren't going anywhere. So if the top stays really relevant, the middle class kind of moves forward, you aren't really seeing that happen as much in the Big Ten or the Pac-12, as you mentioned. Well, and we really need that middle class of the ACC to get better to avoid, um, I think, uh, the nine-game conference schedule. And by part of doing that is for the rest of them to start scheduling tougher out-of-conference opponents. Yeah. Because I, the, the, the ESPN is going to want entertainment value out of the ACC. And if you have a bunch of these uh, mid-tier to lower-tier teams playing crappy FBS schools um, two times a year, that's not good for ESPN. So the ESC State has been doing. Right. And they so, need to schedule better out-of-conference. And so ESPN is going to push for a nine-game conference schedule if that remains the case, which is going to hurt teams like Florida State and Clemson. Right, as we talked about. I mean, I would I would almost call that a win, and I don't even know if it was on the table this time. They did expand the ACC schedule in basketball, um, but it did not go to nine-game conference schedule in football. Let's call that a win. That would have been very detrimental to Clemson's out-of-conference scheduling. We would have had one fewer um, FCS opponent Um you know, on, on our schedule probably. Because I don't think we would give up like the Auburn or Georgia or Texas A&M games. I mean, now you could make the argument that South Carolina is going to be an FSC, F, FCS opponent for the next several years. <laughs> but... Could be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're, saying, what, what you're saying. I like the flexibility that we have because it's, it's fans. It's awesome to play the Auburns of the wor- world in Georgia. You know, we want to, to have those games. At the same time, we can't give up you know, these FCS opponents or the yeah, lower tier FBS opponents because we need that guaranteed home game, extra home game every year. We talk about revenue, and I know you guys have talked about the uh, the amount of rev- revenue that Clemson actually brings in every year and where they rank in the relationship to the other powerhouses in college football, and we're, we're pretty far down there. Um, yeah. So that we'd take a big hit to lose a home game if that ended up being the case. And you mentioned real quick, you mentioned about the, and not a lot of people are talking about this, you mentioned moving to the 20-game schedule in basketball. I think basketball has a lot more to do with this than people think because the ACC has become, again, the premier basketball conference. I don't think anyone's denying that. I think, I think that's a big part of the reason we're, we're getting that kind of money from ESPN. Well, you still, I, you, I hear a lot more talk about football, and I, I agree with you. I think that is a lot of the case. That's the ESPN getting their foot in the door to have a stranglehold, well, they, they need live that aggressive, but they need live programming because Sports yeah. Center just isn't cutting it. And but also their revenues are so far down, they have a hard time justifying paying no out more that skip money. Bayless either. Uh, yeah, no more skip. Ah, oh, poor. Yeah, what am I going to do from you know ten to twelve every morning? So kind yeah. of along the lines, <laughs> kind of along the lines of basketball. And this is probably a little far fetched and a little out there, but it doesn't make me wonder a little bit. Does ESPN see the writing on the wall with? Uh, this whole CTE thing in football. <laughs> I think about that, but I'm going to say no. Not right, not well, yet. Only time's going to tell, yet. but we've this seen... This is not a hedge against that, if they are. Yeah. Like, they're, all their chips are in on football continuing to be money-making sport. I think what's going to happen is the quality of players is going to go down drastically, but it's going to be down across the board, so the overall product, you're not going to be able to tell that the quality at like say uh, have you ever watched the division three championship game like you can tell the the talent level is the same the money's going to be the same as the point the brand names are going to be the same so i i I think that though deep down because it's been about 10 years now from kids or parents saying no my kid will not play football it's it's going to have an effect yeah i think so i mean you see what happens don't not sure when in, in this country when people get behind and an issue like this, it tends to grow fairly quickly. Yeah. One to keep an eye on for sure. Um, well, we mentioned we wanted to shift over to talking about the state of the program and obviously lots of focus um, in the media, Clemson media among ourselves. Talk, you know, um, Obviously, you guys talking with friends. We're all excited for the, the season to start this year. Um, you know, the, the immediate future is really bright for Clemson. But before we start and kind of while we're still in the in July and still in the, in the off-season doldrums of summer, um, we've got the time to have a little bit more perspective. And before we get into kind of our August heavy up with preview shows, um, we wanted to take a chance to look at where Clemson's program sits right now through a number of different lenses. Where do we calibrate nationally against some of the other Blue Bloods and powerhouse programs um, with recent success that we've had? 
through a historical Clemson lens. You know, where where is this team and where is this Dabo Sweeney kind of administration or regime relative to some of his predecessors? Um, and more importantly, what does the state of the program today tell us about what's going to be necessary to either sustain that or even move one to two notches up in the upcoming five to ten years? Um, so I'm going to flip it to Cody. Cody, you kind of introduced this topic when we were talking about this show. And I was just going to ask, like, what brought this to mind and, you know, what's sort of your angle on the state of the current Clemson program? Yeah, I think what's what, why I find this conversation always interesting is because it's where do you where do you rank as a program? And if you look in the Dabo Sweeney era, we went from I'm not going to go year by year, but we went from top, friends, 20 top 25 team under Tom, Tommy Bowden. That's that's what what Dabo inherited. We started bouncing up. We got a top 15. It seemed like we stuck there in that top 15 program level. I feel like last year we had this, a similar discussion where we, where we said, you know, are we a top 10 program? And this isn't 2015 results or 2016. We're looking at a more holistic, you know, like you said, 10 year. You know, look at the last five years, maybe look at the, where you're going in the next five years. What's that 10 window, uh, 10 year window look like? And I think this is the first year we we said last year we feel like we're a friend's top 10 team. And if we have a good enough year, we will be propelled into the top 10. And sure enough, we did. We feel like we're probably close to a top five team, top five program. So uh, now we can not only just throw out arbitrary numbers, but we can you know, put a little bit more quantitative analysis into it and say, who are those four or five teams ahead of us? Uh, and you know, who are these other teams that we may have surpassed uh, just in the last 12 months? But also looking at, like you said, staying power. Do we have, does Clemson have the staying power? Is the ACC relevant enough? Is it going to give us that kind of the platform so we can stay relevant. So a lot, a lot of different angles. I, I, anyway, it's a long, long story long. That's why I find this so interesting. And with just the nature of college football and recruiting classes changing, like players turning over as much as it as, as happens, I mean, Tom Brady's been the quarterback of the Patriots since 2001, 15 years. He's starting, I think, his 16th season coming up here. I mean, he didn't start in 2001. But anyway, we've gone through how many quarterbacks in that cycle at, Cle- at Clemson football? Um, so by nature of that, I think we tend to have short memories of, or, you know, sh- yeah, basically short memories of where this team has been and where we've come. Um, and for one, I mean, my like immediate take when we were coming up with this is just really to try and appreciate like how we have crept up the ranks there and how, how know, hard it, how hard it's been, how hard it's been to, you know, for this team to improve and, and move up. And there's been a lot of, you know, tough Saturday nights, you know, where we, you know, lost games. We we all felt like we shouldn't, um, but but it doesn't happen much. We've only we've averaged like just a little over two losses the past five years. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, before that 2011 season when we went ten and three and started this run, I mean, you know, there were four or five losses. I mean, four that was, was four losses right. was like a good year, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and then be competitive if not lose your bowl game most of those times. And we felt at that time, even like especially the Tommy Bowden days, we deserve a top twenty a perennial top twenty five program. Then we started saying, Well, we deserve a top fifteen program. Well now we you know we don't know what we deserve. I think mm-hmm. it's you know, not that we don't have an entitlement. Well, and it's but what for, is realistic? Yeah, is, it's yeah. easy being runners up last year and you know, bringing back an incredibly high power offense this season to have really high expectations and we should. Um they sh- if they play to their capability, you know we should be right right back there. Yeah, last year set the bar. Like this is the first season since anybody who grew up or was around and old enough in the '80s to witness under the Ford era what was happening there. For the rest of us, this is the first time we can legitimately go into a season and say we are legitimate and expected national championship contenders. Last year we we didn't know. We thought we could if things went certain ways. If the defense mm-hmm. played better than we thought they would, and Deshaun Watson was as state healthy and was good as uh, uh, we thought he could be. You know, other instances were like the whatever the 2008 season when Colin Harper was coming back for his second year. And we're like, oh man, going into Alabama to lead off the year, we have a really good shot this year. Started the season like number eight or something. That was false hope. That was never going to happen. Um, but this is real now. Like we're in a spot where this is real again. And we saw how we played against Alabama and what we did to Oklahoma in that Orange Bowl. Like this is a legitimate team. This is an elite team currently in college football. So Tully, you've done some analysis here, like numbers, uh, AP rank, final AP rankings from I think back to 2011. I'm not gonna ask you. Not gonna ask you what, where exactly do we rank, but tell me where you came to, where you landed on, and 
I don't know, who's ahead of us, who's behind us? Yeah, for sure. So looked back the last five years, going back to 2011, which culminated in our first Orange Bowl, um, at least in the modern era, um, with the West Virginia game and went through this year's national championship. And basically, I looked at a few things just across like the AP top 25 finishes for those years, you know, picked a handful of teams that I thought would be in the conversation of teams that are as good as Clemson or potentially have had better five-year runs recently. Um, and I looked at things like how many during that five-year span, how many top 10 finishes do they have? How many conference championships do they have? Um, did they play for a natty or win a natty or multiple? Um, and then did they, I mean, really what was their bowl record during that time frame? And uh, a few things sort of jumped out at me as there are a couple teams that I don't think get as, get enough respect nationally. Um, and that was actually the, well, I'll start with my like tier ones that almost nobody would argue that these programs are not ahead of Clemson at this moment or have not been over the last five years. Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State. Um, all of them have won national championships, had Heisman Trophy winners, and you know really are blue blood programs, perennial powerhouses. Um, I would put Clemson though in the next tier, kind of what I would call tier two. And we're in there in some order I think we're ahead of Oklahoma for obvious reasons, having beaten that two <laughs> I think years that in a goes row. without saying. Um, but they, you know, they've had some impressive numbers, winning multiple conference championships. They beat Alabama in a BCS Bowl. Everyone could argue about the motivation of Alabama in that game, but Oklahoma's been legit. It's really easy for us to laugh at them, and we should. Um, but anyway, they're they're kind of right there with us. But the two the two schools that um, I don't think get enough credit are Oregon and Stanford. Um, Oregon has played for two national championships lost both of them, one to Auburn, one to Ohio State. But, you know, other than that, in the Chip, Chip Kelly era, you know, dominant team really took over the Pac-12 and made it their own. Um, you wouldn't then, put LSU in there? They've only had one top 10 finish since 2011, and that was 2011. They've really underachieved. Um, certainly, they've got the recruiting class pedigree. And we'll see what happens this year. They're they're. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've, you know, they've had great players. And if you wanted to talk about, like, quality of players going into the NFL and you know succeeding there LSU is probably a top two or three school mate what does that say about Les Miles what does that say about his ability to get you know pr- productivity out of them on the field not good things probably but anyway LSU is very legit I would actually put them in maybe the third tier um, but Stanford was the one school to me that really stood out as super consistent um, they had I think in the last five years four top 10 finishes um, they won the Pac-12 twice I think they always found that one game. I mean, if you want to talk about "quote unquote" Clemsoning, I think Stanford would always find that game in the really the last five years to lose to USC in an untimely game, or when Oregon had one of its very few down years, they would lose to Oregon. So um, Stanford's right there, and I, I think that I think that goes a a lot to their style of football and what they play, um, yeah, maybe the adaptability is less there to be able to beat certain types of teams. Um, but I think because of the style of football they play, they probably stand up better toe-to-toe to most teams and maybe the SEC or the you know Big Big Ten. Yeah, pro style, so, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yep. Whereas Oregon, yeah, they look good and flashy playing in the Pac-12, but when they really have to play an SEC team or something like that with their finesse style of offense and absolutely you know no, their Olay defense, like it, it doesn't turn out well, so yeah, it's easy to say Chip Kelly. He did have a good tenure there and a good run, but were they ever really legitimate contenders? When they got into the big game, what would tend to happen? I, I tend to agree. I you have in your second tier Oregon, Clemson, Oklahoma, Stanford. I'm guessing that's not in order. Not at all. Not yeah. okay. So I would actually take remove Oregon from that second tier and replace them with LSU. I, um, I'm talking strictly about results in the field, and they play this schedule that they're. I, that they actually schedule, but they're it's, given. It's definitely a, what have you done for me lately? Because what, it was just, what, two years ago? Oregon was in a national championship not long before that and another uh, perennial top five team. It, it, yeah, what so have you done for me? You. It, it's not about past uh, performance as much as I think they're, they're recruiting. It's it's all about they're right there in the top five of recruiting. Right now, I look at their depth chart and that I t- said it last episode that's one team that probably scares me more than more than anyone if they get their quarterback situation figured out. So I'm using that five-year projection to push them up in that that second tier. 
yeah, I mean, this is basically in my historic tier from 2011 through now. If it's strictly historic, I think it makes oh, yeah. sense. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think looking looking ahead, you know, schools that could potentially creep up into that, and I've kind of clustered these as underachievers, schools that have had great recruiting but haven't put it together on the field. You can blame that on their head coach. You can blame that on injury, whatever it is. Maybe they figure it out. Maybe they have a new offensive or defensive system that comes in. Maybe they get the right combo of recruits. But anyway, the schools that I think could jump into that Clemson tier or maybe move up, definitely LSU. I think Southern Cal, um, Tennessee, Michigan, and Auburn I would put up there. Auburn is probably the least likely or worthy just because I think Gus Malzahn's on the hot seat, and I don't know if he's got the horses this year to keep his job, and they have a tough schedule. I think they're. I see them as the most volatile. I mean, you look at when Cam was in there, Cam Newton, they went to the national championship out of nowhere. Trey uh, Mason. Trey Mason right. and, and Nick Marshall, yeah, when they had the zone read, uh, yeah. when they just killed it and, and uh, went to the national championship game. They're the team that can go from a you know a top uh, 15 program to the number two program in the nation really quick. In no time, yeah. Uh, likewise, I see Clemson. You have them as the probably the, the best team in that second tier. I see them as the most likely having the, the right infrastructure to get into that conversation with Florida State, Alabama, and Ohio State. So, so let's... Maybe, maybe actually, I hate to tell you this, Ben, maybe the most team that could really fit that bill is Michigan. Sorry, I know that's that's painful to say, but between those two, I could see them getting up to that first tier Listen, really I, quickly. I'm not denying that Michigan isn't going to have short-term success uh, with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, I, I think he is a good football coach. I think his personality is going to wear thin on a lot of people, and, and it has. It's proven to at Stanford and at, out here with the San Francisco 49ers. Good good part of that in college is players only stay for four or five years. So by the time they're burnt out, they graduate or they go pro. Michigan, though, they've gotten rid of Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez pretty quickly. You know, if, if the wins aren't there. That's really what it, it's going to Yeah, but Harbaugh played I, for Michigan, so I, I think he has a little bit longer of a rope there. And the thing that gets lost in all of this, he is a darn good coach. He really is. Oh, absolutely. There's there's no question about that. We'll see what happens, though. He has his antics. He's kind of a jerk. So we'll, we'll see how that, long he, that he lasts does in Michigan. He does wear thin on people. So who else do you guys think could, could make the leap here um, into top 10 of college football's kind of elite over the next three to four years i mean you have uh you have tcu and another team that was right there maybe in like where clemson was last year all it took was one year for them to fall back in terms of a team uh, going forward uh, i don't know i don't know i don't think stanford's that team as much as i love them and respect their program they just don't have the recruiting it's the most boring football game i've ever been to as a stanford home game oklahoma isn't the recruiting powerhouse it once was although they are getting better they are improving in recruiting uh, and I think Clemson is is solid, squarely ahead of them in in a lot of ways. So, uh, so, so let's kind of bring this back to Clemson and kind of the state of the program at at Clemson. Uh, we're talking about all these schools and what would it take for them to get there. And so, how do schools reach this elite status? You know, you obviously have the history and the background of your programs with teams like Southern Cal or something like that, where we still talk about them in the light of being elite but what have what have you done for me lately like you said cody but you know some schools get there just from having a great solid coach that's your alabamas of the world and ohio state right uh you know with, Ni- with those, nick, nick those saban also had the pedigree of like it's so it's a combination it's, it's absolutely a combination yeah. um some schools get lucky and they just have you know a good season where they're riding like an elite player or something like that that's your auburn you could say stanford with luck or uh gerhardt Texas a- Texas and M with John uh, with Johnny Manziel. Um, some schools cheat like Ole Miss. <laughs> and that's just not that's not very sustainable, right? You're sure. going to get caught eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, the other way I think to do it is, you know, some schools just do it the right way, and I think it's the hardest way to go about doing it. And that I think that's where Clemson lies right now. Dabo is not an elite coach yet. Let's you know. I, I, I think he's an elite program builder. I don't he, know. Well, he has he built an elite program? Has he built a program that has won a national championship yet? No. Is he going to? I absolutely, yes, honestly believe so. Well, now we're getting semantics. We're trying to define no, what is elite. I, no, I don't think we are. It's not, I don't think it is about semantics. I want to say, do you think an elite program has won 
that hasn't won a national championship? I, I think it's one. Uh, I use the word infrastructure because I, I think of like the San Antonio Spurs, and they have this infrastructure where they one guy goes out, they plug another guy in, and it's like it's this self-sustaining machine. And they've won like and I five think Clemson, championships. I think Clemson is that position with with uh, with Dabo, and it's it's yeah. There's there's big big pieces in place like Coach Finnables, but he's in a position now where Finnables goes out. We're willing to pony up the money. He's that was a, a darn good recruiter, both with players and coaches. He'll pluck someone, and the and the machine will keep rolling. So I, I think we can't answer the question of is he an elite program builder or a coach until we face certain types of adversity and where it's. I think we're going to find out a lot this year. Are there scandals? Does a scandal pop up? I mean, that's uh, you never know what could happen. That derailed the Ford era. I like I like what you, I I like Twice. the. We're we we we're at a point now. We don't know. We're we're definitely the favor, the favored team. We're, we're so. on the upswing, right? And this will be, and again, I'm I'm hopeful we don't have to face a situation where Dabo goes away or Brent Venables takes another job somewhere to become a head coach. Um, and you know, we just keep the train, bring the band back to, or keep the band together, keep it moving. Um, we can see if the program builds that way. Uh, but I I do think. This year, being able to replace yet another big NFL crop of talent, can he prove time and again that you you can't have those interchangeable parts? Well, and, and don't get me wrong, like I, I think we're there. I think the state of the program is probably as strong as it's ever been, maybe because there's no scandal or talk of scandal looming over the program right now. Clemson is still Clemson. It still has uh, the, the campus and the family atmosphere that it did back in the '80s. Uh, that brought so much success to the football program. It still has that same fan support. There's a, had been starting under Tommy Bowden, a renewed push on facilities. And now we're really starting to see that come to fruition with Dabo. You have Dabo and his coaching staff. You have a coaching staff uh, that works so well together and a CEO of the program who pours so much of his heart and soul into Clemson and developing quality young men. And then you have a buy-in from university presidents um, into the football program that makes a huge difference from, from Jim Barker to Clement now. Like they both understand what it means to, to Clemson to have a quality football program. Like we have a strong history, we really do. And I think all those things coming together right now is the perfect storm of where we're at. But at the end of the day, I do, I do think it all starts with Dabo. So, yeah, absolutely. And then we go back to him being a program builder. I talk about your. You were just talking about having the administration like they they back Clemson and, and or they back Dabo and the, the football program uh, like they never have before. That's a big part of it. They're, that they 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 fork over the money for these facilities. Um, the other part is support staff. It's again, it's an infrastructure. It's a way where you can put in. You can lose eight starters on defense one year, lose them again, and potentially have a top twenty-five defense. It's it's. Uh, I think we have doubled. The support staff under Dabo uh, coming back from Tommy Bowden's days. You wonder why player development's improved. I mean, it's a lot of things. Strength and conditioning has improved, but it's also making sure when a guy comes in his freshman year, he's got a guy in his ear. He's got you know, he, no one gets lost in the shuffle. Uh, there's very much every, everything is very regimented. Dabo is he's a that's 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 part of it. Anyway, higher higher level. It's 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 something that is sustainable. It's something I don't see us falling back. Can we push no, forward? Yeah into a top five and be elite again as long as there's no major scandal that derails the program like it's going in the right direction and the, yeah. we talk about what it's going to look like over the next 10 years we're in really good shape i think the strength of the acc is going to have something to say about that um, because while now it's nice to really go into a season saying we only have to beat florida state to win the to, to win the acc and go to a, a playoff game um, th- and that's been true. Yeah, that, that has been true. But there's these new coaching hires in the uh, ACC that is really going to have a lot to say about that. I think over the next several years, you got Bobby Petrino uh, coming back to Louisville. His 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 program is being built there. Uh, Larry Fedora, uh, Larry Fedora at UNC. You see what they're doing. But then also, you know, you bring in Rick Fuente, uh, Mendenhall, and Dino Babers, and yeah, they're not all going to work out, but. It only takes a couple to really start getting some better programs coming in. You combine that with the new revenue, uh, with the ACC TV deal with ESPN. The, the SEC dominance has started to subside a little bit. Um, well, it's only been two teams that have won the SEC the last like five, six years. It's been Alabama and Auburn. And the SEC, what, East has been absolutely terrible. 
I, I wouldn't say terrible. Right. A uh, big part of that, they they have a very solid middle class in the AC, in the SEC. Mizzou's won it twice since coming over. The SEC East has been pretty bad. I mean, as bad as Wake Forest, as bad as Boston College, as bad as Syracuse. Well, no, nobody's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you could. I could see a world where the ACC overall does contend with the SEC almost team for team. Maybe not at the very apex, but I think we've got Florida State, Clemson there competing for with the Alabama. Well, and yeah, well, Clemson and Florida State could go toe to toe with the two best SEC teams all day long. I don't think Louisville would necessarily embarrass themselves against the third ranked team there. Right, Ole Miss or whoever else it is. I, I think Tennessee. It, I, I think it does drop off a bit after that. Like I still don't trust North Carolina because you know they don't play defense; they rely a lot on offense. Yeah. And we'll see what happens with some of these other schools. We'll see if Mark Rick can go into Miami and turn a one-story program around and talk about doing it right the right way. That's the way that, that he does it, and it's going to have to be done down there. So wait a minute. So when we look at the the progression of the ACC, and we certainly think it's going to improve. How much? I don't know, but it will improve. Uh, d- does that help Clemson, or is that does it hurt Clemson? We're, do we look back five years, seven years uh, from now and say, "Wow, those were the days when all we had to do is beat Florida the State." Benefit of the doubt. The do you remember two years ago the SEC West, where they had something like six teams in the top twenty? You can lose a game, and then it's oh, they played a really good team. Versus if you lose a game now in the ACC, it's a catastrophe. It's a season ender. That's where it's good for Clemson. And that's where you do get benefit of the doubt. You do get some sort of kind of... It, one loss does not kill your season. Yeah, the only team that Clemson can really lose to and still expect to make the playoff is probably Florida State. I mean, maybe you, maybe you can lose to Louisville and then beat Florida State and still you know see how things shake out in the other conferences. But yeah, I mean... And then it, for us as fans, I look at our football schedule this year. It's pretty damn boring. <laughs> like... It's pretty bad. So you're maybe from a fan perspective, having a more competitive slate helps. It might also, be more interesting. Revenue, yeah. it, it helps revenue as well, just to have a, a healthy conference going. Well, um, it'll certainly help uh, the TV deal. More people are watching. Right, of course. So that flows back into our coffers. We can spend on facilities and you know, re-signing coaches, et cetera. And that being said, like I, I think it's still fine if the ACC as a whole gets better because Clemson and Florida State are so far ahead of everybody else right now that they have a lot of catching up to do. Just yeah. because the games become more competitive doesn't mean that they knock us off our pedestal. I, I'm really curious to see how uh, Mark Rick does in Miami because there's certainly the, the tradition, fan support, ah, it's, and it's dwindling. It has dwindled in recent years, but uh, the talent in Florida... I, would I think say- until they get a new football stadium or any type of facilities on campus or close to campus. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I shouldn't say fan support because they certainly don't have fan support. No. And I don't mean, I mean actually success. Right. Like, I don't know it. I'm bearish on Miami. He does. Mark Rick just doesn't, uh, he's got that very humble, uh, I don't know how to describe him. Good old boy, kind of, you know, good old he's soul. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how he, he jives with uh, Miami's culture. With swag. That's a good question. We saw, we saw Miami culture last year. But they could certainly use it because they're not getting anywhere with what they've been doing. I could see it really going going well, and I hope they... Uh, you, you can't be Miami of the 80s and 90s anymore and, it, and be successful. Yeah. So, guys, tying it back to Clemson, I want a number. Where would you calibrate Clemson today, maybe looking over the last five-year window? Look, only looking over uh, historical numbers, and I'll, I'm going to weight more recent performance heavily than more heavy than five years ago. Um, I like what you did uh, in terms of having them in a second tier behind Alabama, Ohio State, and Florida, lumped in with Oregon, State. Ohio State, uh, Florida State, and Alabama. Um, I like them at number, oh man, I'm going to say number six. Behind Oregon and Stanford, you could honestly you could probably put them ahead just as well. Uh, this year, they will most likely leapfrog both of those teams. Yeah, I don't put a lot of stock in taking a look at the last five years. That doesn't interest me all that much. I, I think it's this really, was your homework assignment, Ben. <laughs> my dog ate it. Um, <laughs> I'm really more interested in looking over the, the course of the next five years or where we stand now. And I think really where we stand now, you can talk about Ohio State, but they're not coming into this season very highly ranked. They've seen some fall off. Um, it's us 
in Alabama right now. I think it's oh, you got to get Florida State. The it won West. Florida State, and I I know we just won a championship game, but they are better than us as a program right now. I see very all this, narrowly, but ahead of us. I see, who has the best quarterback? Who has the best offensive line? Who has the best wide receivers? Who has the best interior defensive line? I'm not going to say who has, like uh, the yeah, best secondary. Who has the best defensive line? They they actually do have a better defensive line. Defensive ends. Yes. Who has a great offensive line, not as good as ours, but are close to as good as ours. What I'm saying <laughs> is, like, you can't say Florida State is head and shoulders above us. By any I'm, and we're not. But here's the thing: we're not even talking about 2016. We're talking about as a program looking in five years and then even project the next five years. I see them the facilities as facilities much just, better than ours. I'm not saying that we can't beat them on a year to year basis, but uh, I think Over, it's a 50-50 proposition. It's something we should be satisfied with. Over the point. last five years, I'd say we're, yes, a solidly top 10 program. I think if you look at us over the next five years, you're going to see a solid top five program yeah, in the I country. That. And that, and the only thing that's really holding us back, um, I think, from maintaining a top one to three spot could be injuries. But really, everything is pointing in the right direction right now. We need some quarterback development, but we have a lot of horses in that stable. I think what could derail us is departures of coaches. Um, and I don't want to talk about Dabo. Everyone, that's the doomsday scenario probably for us as fans. Uh, but Venables moves on. Maybe one of our OCs gets snagged to um, be a full-time OC somewhere or to be a head coach. Um, both of them are, have Clemson. You know, they're Clemson alumni, um, our offensive coordinators, I mean. So, you know, you hope we can keep them around. But um, I'd say that's our biggest risk. But... A couple things I wanted to mention. First of all, we talked about the ACC media deal and more revenue coming in. It's going to be interesting to look at revenue numbers coming out of the national championship season where we had a championship game, the Orange Bowl, and the college football playoff in the national championship. Like, What did that do for Clemson's revenue um, in this last, you know, I guess, school year, academic year? Um, and then just in general, what does the new media deal do for us? But in the 2014-15 season, the last one where we have figures... Clemson ranked 39th in the country in revenues brought in. Florida State was like 12th. And then, interestingly, like A&M was number one, Texas was number two. But um, there's that 39th. Right. We, how are we a top five team bringing in the 39th most revenue? And, and Where's be, our, where are our recruiting numbers? And, and I, can, I can help you there. Another telltale for the future. But, and you're not saying that's an indictment on anything about Clemson. It's not more just uh, it's well, a byproduct. It shows that we've overachieved, it shows, is, absolutely, is my yeah. point. And then recruiting numbers, we've not been top five in recruiting. We've had a couple of great classes. Cody, you've got the class ranks. Luckily, it's getting better. <laughs> uh, and I use, by the way, I use rivals. I think they're more reliable. They're the best well, recruiting service. And I bring that the, both of those points up to say this coaching staff has gotten a lot out of what the resources Clemson has can bring in. Um, and that's great. And that's how you can sustain and move things forward. But how long is 39th in the country? Like how long can you sustain top five when you're, you know, making a third of what some, some schools in the, in the country make? Yeah. Well, we're never going to make as much as some of these bigger schools because we don't have the alumni base to do it. But you know, the same thing was true in the eighties and we did pretty damn well. South Carolina has recently brought in a lot of money. They didn't. Yeah. They don't have much to it's show not, for. That's where, though, that's where an Alabama and an Ohio State and a Florida State I don't, really aren't going to fall too far out of the top 10 for very long. Whereas I think we have to catch lightning in a bottle with the right coach. Yeah, let's don't paint this blind picture of optimism like it's in these hills. It's something special. You know, it's it's in the pocketbooks. It's in the money. It's it's what it's what gives you. I think that's what you're kind of getting at, Tully, is that's what gives you staying power is being able to pay that special teams coach because, hey, oh, we just found out, yeah, special teams can't cost you a national championship. Um, it's being able to give that wide receiver coach a bonus so you can develop that, that you know, first round pick, you know, and there's, it's just, it goes, it, it kind of goes throughout the whole roster, support staff, it's these new high school coaches dad was bringing on with that added budget, it's these facilities. Anyway, I can go on and on. Uh, money does, it, money, it might not give you, make you uh, the best team in the nation, but it will give you a, uh, a safe baseline, I guess, if you will, so you don't fall back. Uh, 39th, you're absolutely right. I don't, that's, that, that will have long-term impacts if we can't, you know, at least get in like maybe that top 25. For the record, I do think there's something in these hills. We <laughs> could put that out there. Yeah. Well, it's, the revenue is going to turn around if this TV deal starts to work yeah. out. Oh, 
and that's why it's very important. And if so. you've you taken a look at the list, I mean, I have, and you guys did the research on that, where our revenue ranks, but tell me those other 38 schools, like, who are they? And, like, how many of those are actually, like, elite? Is Iowa up there? Is I'm going to guess they're in the SEC and the Big Ten, and then the big names in, like, the Big 12, uh, like, obviously... Uh, Texas and Oklahoma. And we've done a lot better than most of those teams in the, in the past several I, years. I don't think it's a thing of like we can, of course we can outperform, but why, if there is an advantage to be had uh, by money and, it, and, and we can already outperform expectations, why don't we start in the 20th spot instead of the you know, 39th spot? That's, I think that's the kind of, that's the way I'm looking at it. Well, University of South Carolina was 17th. And that should make you mad. I don't Absolutely. Ca- it's it's not to say they're not a- donate. By the way, we do have, I think, Ipte, it's What's like twice. What's supposed to make me mad about that? It makes me mad when they beat us five years in a row, but it doesn't make me mad when, I think you you're know, misinterpreting they, what I'm saying. It should make you mad that, like, they, just because we landed in the ACC where Duke and Wake Forest just so happen to reside and they can't even pack out, you know, a 50,000-seat stadium, it sh- we shouldn't hurt because of that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a football Republican uh, in the spirit of, you know, the, the election year coming up. Uh, I, I like... I like I, I don't like the redistribu- redistribution of, of wealth to some of these teams who don't necessarily earn it. You know, Florida and Clemson move the needle. So it doesn't make me mad in the sense that... But it needs to be a competitive league. It does. I know. But I wish, I wish we could just remove them and they could be like basketball-only members. Is that too much to ask? And add Syracuse in there. And that may be where the sport is going. <laughs> could be. So we Well, can, they can we go can back to the Big East and show. play basketball if that's going to be the case. But. Yeah. So I'm I not, think we need support. Like what David Cutcliffe has been doing is, at Duke has been fantastic. Like I, he's been filling the I, void though of Miami and Virginia Tech being down. Right, but and I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Getting a lot out of Duke. I want You're NC right. State to be better. Like NC State is a great football rivalry. The Textile Bowl that we have with them when they're a good program, it's it's fun to it's fun to watch them play. And I don't think they're going to be you know Dave Doran's not going to have much more time left. I don't think he makes it past this season. Um, yeah, Wake Forest has their heyday. They're never going to be a staying power in football. They're like the Vanderbilt, you know, of, of the SEC, right? Um, but I guess I'm saying I just don't like just because of where we landed in the conference and that other and for things that happened throughout the years, uh, you know, under Swafford's reign. I, I just don't like that our starting point is so low. It has nothing to do with us because if Tate contributes, Dabo produces, the team is, is darn good. They put out a great product. Uh, I'm glad. Let's just say I'm glad we have this ACC deal. Absolutely. Well, maybe to put a bow on the state of the program, as good as we've been in a very long time, if not ever, you know, the future is very bright. This next season is going to be very telling, and we can't wait to get it started. Um, but there's, you know, in terms of risks, there are very few of those. Um, we just got to keep our coaches happy, keep our players healthy, keep those recruiting classes coming in. Um, Cody on. On the recruiting note, any thoughts there? I know you, you probably keep um, the most attention on recruiting of, of all three of us. Yeah, it's it's been painfully boring in recruiting when right after the all-in cookout where we normally, you know, we might get a guy or we might lay the groundwork to land a recruit shortly after the, the all-in cookout. Didn't, nothing really came to fruition this time. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we, uh, you know, built some relationships, got back into contention with some prospects. I guess the, the thing more, maybe from a more higher level, is I've noticed this is one of the more interesting classes, Clemson recruiting classes that I've seen, where if you look at our the DBs that we were looking to take, we have this slew of you know, top 150 defensive backs, and a lot of them were had Clemson as front runners just a few months ago. We're not even recruiting these guys anymore. I mean, we're talking about top 100 players. I'm not going to name them all because there's been a lot. It's been a huge shuffle. Um, but all of a sudden, we have uh, you know this Texas five-star defensive back that pops up on our radar. Uh, we have this, uh, and I, I don't have the names in front of me right now. We have this five-star defensive end that's all of a sudden he's got Clemson in the top five, and it seems like we're playing the game that Florida State's played, uh, that they play every year, that Alabama plays every year, that Auburn plays every year. You know, Auburn, wink, wink. Uh, anyway, but and what that game is is don't go all in with like a top two hundred player uh, or top, we'll say a, a high three-star player like we've done in previous years. You can you can hang on and go go the long game with five star you know five star players like Rashawn Gary and hopefully you know this time we'll seal the deal. I know I, I find that I just find that interesting. It just shows the, the kind of 
kind of pull Clemson has well, at this point. You saw it last year when we unexpe- unexpectedly lost a lot more in the secondary to the NFL draft than we thought we were going to. And then the last minute, we go in and get Trayvon Mullen, Kevon Wallace, and Isaiah Simmons. I mean, we know we can, that late in the game, still pull high-quality right. uh, recruits. And, and doing it so far away, you know, don't... And then we talked a little bit last episode about in-state recruits, and we won't go down on that, on that tangent, but... Why take that three-star in-state player when uh, there's you can go into Kansas or is it like Virginia, Florida, or yeah, Florida? They just you know they they're all over the place. You can you can go in and maybe even get a guy to flip a commitment uh, in, in the last minute. That kind of stuff happens. It's not it's it's definitely a, it's a roll of the dice. It's it's risky, but you, we the Clemson brand uh, says a lot. And you saw what happened with Rashawn Gary and other prospects that we did land like Trayvon Mullen last year. Yeah, interesting that that phenomenon is happening in the secondary where we know we're going to need help with Tankersley likely going to the league this coming year. Um, any AJ upcoming... Terrell, man. AJ Terrell. Let's get him in. Yeah, I'm sorry. I miss AJ Terrell. That's a great example of a guy. It's like he wasn't even on our radar. And then this, you know, five star AJ Terrell is here he is. So we didn't hear a lot out of the cookout, the all in cookout, but. You heard there was a good impression made on him, and then Jordan Williams may be close to committing as well, defensive end. I don't. I wasn't going to say anything about Jordan Williams because we said something about Zach Carter last time, and it it wasn't us that jinxed him. We jinxed it. I don't believe in jinxing, so I don't either. But well, are there are there any expected signing, you know, announcements or commitments happening in the next like few weeks? Let's let's say this. We we have we talked time and time again uh, about, and I'm drawing a blank because I never have names in front of me. Uh, or Trey Smith from yeah. Wando. Uh, he looked like he was Clemson's to have if we wanted him. And I think South Carolina might hold the cards here. And I that's, do too. And that's unfortunate. We could have had, we slow played him because we wanted to get, you know, James Robinson out of Florida, who apparently has character issues or something else. And we might lose out on him now. So I September so 11th is his announcement date. Could be, could be a, a Gamecock. Uh, and then Jameis Williams, he's the defensive back. Reminds me a little bit of the Honey Badger. I love the guy's film. He's only 5'9, but he, so physical. Uh, I think some people, uh, some coaches have shortchanged him, maybe even Clemson to some degree. We like these, you know, prototypical uh, defensive backs that are larger. Now that's, or that's kind of what we go for. And he's not, he doesn't fit that mold. So uh, he might actually become, go to South Carolina. It looks like that's where he's leaning to as well. And then one for a 2018 guy for me, Trevor Lawrence, obviously the big talk about the quarterbacks. Um, my gut's telling me, Georgia, that he'll end up there just because of the, the amount of talent that we have at the quarterback position right now. It's just absolutely unbelievable. I can't imagine that a guy like that comes to Clemson. Like We just can't be that lucky to have Watson, Bryant, <clears throat> Cooper, Israel, and then Hunter Johnson. Ch- Hunter Johnson, Chase Bryce. Well, let me say, if anyone's recruited as well at quarterback, it's it's Georgia. I think Jacob Beeson is their Hunter uh, Rogers, essentially, uh, from that's coming in this year. Difference is there's a two year gap. Hunter Johnson. Hunter Hunter Johnson. I'm sorry. Not Amari Rogers. <laughs> Not Amari. He's going to throw balls too. That, yeah, I just lump them in. They'll become one in the same soon. So yeah, I think there there's a two year gap. That separation. Matters to Lawrence, not to mention the pro style quarter, the, the pro style offense that Georgia versus Clemson's offense. Anyway, that's all we got, Tully. That's all we got. Maybe, maybe more later. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think right now we talked about the state of the program looking good. Uh, recruiting always an exciting time. I know we're in the middle of getting ready for the football season, but I, I think basketball. Um, merit some talk right now uh because i'm really looking forward to brad brownell and his team this season i think a lot of say the olympics not (laughs) i'm still not sure the olympics are going to take place actually crazy uh so we'll see what happens there but um you know with drop loss and coming back i think the the bar set really high for the clemson program this year i think we can do a lot of good things but looking on to next year you know brad brownell has really focused on bringing in um transfers to build his program and now we're starting to look at uh, you know, true recruits uh, out of high school that we're bringing in. A couple notes: uh, guard AJ Oliver will forego his senior season uh, to join Clemson uh, this spring, and he's going to redshirt, but he'll be with the team. I think that's good for him just to get that experience. He'll be on the road with them. Uh, is Daniel, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Well, he's the son of uh, uh, the women's basketball coach, Audra Smith. So. I think that's great. I think that's going to get him acclimated to learning how to 
uh, travel with the team, what it's like to play in the ACC. And I, it reminds me kind of a lot about uh, in a better situation than Dante Grantham, where he was thrown into things right away as a freshman. I think you might see A.J. Oliver come in and be thrown in as a freshman to see if he can develop over four years. But the fact that he's going to have this extra semester, really, to be around the team and participate in practice, I think that's really good. Um, and then also the signing of a three-star forward uh, Malik William. Uh, this is a six-eight guy. He's at 200 pounds now. I think he's going to get bigger, and he's starting to really heat up. A lot of chatter about him, so we just got to commit. Um, I looked at some of his tape. He has great court vision, great outlet passes, um, and inside presence on the defensive end. Um, and he looks control under the basket. Um, he need, does need to get quicker and more refined a bit offensively. Um, and his shot is a little loopy. It looks like he does have an outside shot. He'll step out and take a three, but there's some form issues there that I think they need to get a hold on. But uh, yeah, I think he could start really seeing so he'll some be action. Class of seventeen. He'll be class seventeen, right. I think, and he'll start getting action. I think we'll see him come in as his freshman year and get some action. Um, but really, in year two, he's going to start to fill in for the departure of uh, Dante Grantham, and I believe our transfer, uh, David Scar from Croatia, um, will have left by that point. He's coming in as a junior, um, so it, it'd really be him op- and opposite uh, Elijah Thomas at that four position. Clemson's really be lacking there, so he's going to need to step in and and fill some big minutes. I know you guys have spent a good amount of time thinking about this and with Jerome Blossom game coming back. No more research done. Where do you think we rank in the ACC next season? Can I say nationally? Because ACC is tough. I have to look down. Well, they always rank us like 14th in the I, ACC and Brethren. That gets us up to like 8 or 9. I, I Honestly, I think we could end up as high as is is 5 or maybe as high as 5, 4 or 5 this year. Mm-hmm. Maybe 6. But I think reasonable expectations – and, six at the lowest, and you could be at six and still be a top twenty-five team, and, and squarely yeah, in that uh, you know Sweet Sixteen conversation. So, uh, I, I would say we're definitely we, we should be top twenty-five and disappointed, and maybe we ebb and flow, we we uh, we fall out of it in some weeks, but I think we should be right there. And it's because of Jerron Blossom game; he's going to have a better cast around him than KJ McDaniel's did. Yeah. Um. So we need to see a lot of development, but this is boomer bust for Brad Benout this year. Like he got what he needed. Blossom game coming back. Let's see what he can do. I'm really looking forward to this basketball season, actually. I am, too. And we need the home fans to show up and pack out that stadium. some photos of the exterior of Little John. It looks like it's going to be finished before the first football game. So it shouldn't mess up any tailgating activities, which is good news. Thank God. Um, But it looks spectacular. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people trying to go to games there just to check it out. So should have a good showing. Um, Cool. Anything else, Ben, on basketball? Um, yeah, we didn't, you guys didn't touch on it last time, but, you know, DeMontes Stitt uh, passed away, and that just, what a super sad thing. I remember watching him play. Um, he was a point guard, very unlike I remember seeing at, at Clemson in my, you know, short time following Clemson basketball, but, you know, it's always tough, you know, such a young kid. We went through the same thing, I think, with Chris Hobbs uh, a, f- a few years ago, too. You know, these guys, Adams. Uh, yeah, James Adams and on the football side, you know, went way too young. But I'll just always remember DeMontes Sitt as being the motor on a team, such a great point guard and a guy that was fearless um, and played really well uh, for Oliver Purnell um, against some really good competition. So, you know, sad to, to, to hear that he passed and, uh, you know, wish the best to his, uh, his family and friends. Absolutely. Um don't mean to end on a down note, but um, that is our show for this week, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, tune in next week. We will have yet another show coming up. Um, we're going to go probably to about a two-a-week schedule toward the end of the latter part of August. Um, so stay tuned for some of our season previews. We'll break down position groups, break down some of the matchups we're looking forward to this season um, from an opponent standpoint, and just generally get excited about this coming football season. So um, like we mentioned at the top, tell a friend. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Uh, Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And in the meantime, go Tigers.